You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. We take the Word of God very seriously. We believe that it is the Word of God and that when we read uh, words from the pages of this book, the Bible, that you are actually hearing the voice of God, the same voice that spoke the galaxies into existence. So we believe that it's authoritative and I really have nothing better to say other than what's in this book. So we're going to start with 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning with verse 3. The words will be on the screen. If you have a digital device or a Bible, you'll want to follow along when I start you know, unpacking this passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes Notice, tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your, of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he uh, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they, were, that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. You may be seated. So we're in this sermon series, uh, we're, we're back at it again. Last week I took a, a bit of a break, but today we're, we're in it again. Christians say the darndest things. I only have like two more Sundays left in this series. Um, how many of you have heard this, the, the statement from others, heaven gained another angel? Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I, I've heard this numerous times, and uh, honestly I've been looking forward to this. I've been looking forward to, 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 to unpacking this and addressing, addressing this, this statement, having gained another angel. Uh, and what I want to do is I just want to take a look at angels in the Bible. Just, to, just what, what, is the, what does the Bible say about angels? And then against that backdrop, just what is Peter saying here? What, what, what is he saying about, about, about what it means to be a Christian? There are different types of angels. Uh, the rank and uh, in different levels of rank, and they serve God. Uh, angel literally means messenger, and um, this is what angels are not in the Bible: two cute little babies with wings. Like that is not a cherub. I will talk about cherubim in a minute. They definitely do not look cute. Um, or this. <laughs> I know I'm dating myself, but I grew up with Tom and Jerry, and. Uh, you know, yeah, I don't know what happened. When he was scalped or something, I don't know. But, but he looks angry. He looks angry. And I, honestly, if this was what was going to happen to me after death, I might be angry too, right? So, um, 
That's, so, so that's not what, what the Bible says angels are. That's not what happens. Just to show my cards, we don't become angels after death. To, to, to assume that you become an angel after death is to set the bar way, way, way too low. And, and there's so much in store for human beings who have been uh, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and through his resurrection. But there are all kinds of angels. There's great diversity among the angelic world. Uh, there are at least four different types of angels. There seems to be this army of angels that are, we frequently are reminded of. And you know, throughout the Bible, uh, there is uh, one story where uh, Elijah, Elisha, um, was, uh, was in a situation where they're surrounded by the Syrian army, the army of Syria. Um, and, and they were intimidating. Like I, the Assyrian Empire was, I mean, like scholars believe that, or at least credit to them, perfecting psychological warfare. There were, there were some pretty horrible people. Like they would go into a city, chop off the head, stack them up into a pyramid, and say, yeah, this is going to happen to every city we enter into. Like, that's pretty jacked up. Um, they inv invented the, the earliest forms of crucifixion by impaling people outside, you know, cities that they conquered. Like, so Elisha um, was, was surrounded by these, these, these Syrian soldiers, and there was this young guy with Elisha that was really wigging out. And Elisha... Was, it seemed like he had it together. And, um, and so Elisha said to this young man, you can actually read this story in 2 Kings chapter 6, all these verse references will be in my manuscript if you want to look them up later when it's on the, on the website. But um, uh, Elisha uh, said to this young man, he says, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then he prayed over the, for the, that God would open this young man's eyes, and God did that, and what he saw was horses and chariots of fire all around them, protecting them. Now, I've heard of stories of missionaries who've shared similar, like, similar stories like this, just where God miraculously protected them from, from, from people groups that wanted to kill them. Um, and God delivered uh, God delivered the, the Israeli army that day in, in 2 Kings chapter 6. There are uh, cherubim, there are seraphim, and then there's the archangel. Now, there may be more than one archangel, but we're only told about one in the Bible, and his name's Michael. But the cherubim uh, are mentioned at least 90 times in the Bible, and they are not, like I said earlier, they're not these little, cute, little babies with wings. These creatures... Um, are described as having the body like that of a lion, wings like that of a bird, and face like and, and, and a face that at least one part of their face is like that of a of a human. The other part, like an eagle, uh, where we're given this description in Ezekiel chapter one, where I won't read the whole passage I have here, but Ezekiel chapter one verses four through eleven, uh, they had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight and the soles of their feet like the sole of, sole, uh, of, a, of a cast foot, and they uh, sparkled like burnished bronze. Their wings on their, uh, under their wings uh, and on their four sides, they had human hands. Like, that's scary. I would be, like, wigged out by that. Like, would you? Like, I, and I, I don't think they're, they're not ugly creatures. They're just 
intimidating creatures. And their place in, God, in, in heaven is, seems to be under the throne of God in heaven. And then the seraphim circle above the throne in heaven. And if you think the cherubim kind of looks strange, the seraphim have six wings. They have six wings. And two, we're told in Isaiah chapter 6, two, they cover their face. And with two wings, they cover their feet. And with the other set, they fly around the throne. And they, uh, day and night, we're told that they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then at the thresholds of all of heaven shake every time that they say that. So those are seraphim. Literally, the, word, the name seraphim means fiery ones. They, they seem to be uh, the ones that are responsible for, for, for the worship around the throne, at least guarding the worship around the throne. And then there's Michael, the archangel, uh, who seems to be the head of the Lord's armies, of the angelic armies in, in heaven. And he has... Uh, some uh, specific role where we're told that he will either give a shout or he'll do both a shout and blow the trumpet before Jesus comes again. Um, in First Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Um, so, I mean, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but that, so that's Michael. And then there are other angels were introduced in the Bible. I don't have time to go into all the details of all the different angels, but, but there's Gabriel, and Gabriel's role seems to be to, uh, to announce the, the Messiah and, and all things related to his birth and, and, um, and just his ministry. And when we get to, when we read through Daniel, in Daniel chapter 10, Gabriel, I believe he was Gabriel, was, a pro, was trying to get to Daniel, but he was held up by the prince of Persia. And that's not talking about an earthly king. He's talking about a demon, some powerful demon who withheld Gabriel from being able to bring the message that God had given him to Daniel, which leads to this other thing that we learn about angels, is that they seem to... Uh, intervene in human affairs. They can appear in human form. That's why the Bible says, in like Hebrews, it says, hey, you know, you know, entertain strangers. Like, pay attention to strangers. Because in entertaining them and serving them, you may be entertaining angels unaware. So that's in the Bible. Um, and then you have uh, Satan, who was also known as Lucifer. And he's described, I believe he's described in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel uh, chapter 28. Again, just check out the manuscript, but uh, as a chief guardian cherub. So he was like above all of them, and he was like the most beautiful angel of all the angels. And he was cunning and powerful and was able to convince at least one-third of the angels in heaven. You can read about that in Revelation 12. Convince them to rebel against God. And now I'm kind of leading into this, our first Peter passage. They rebelled against God, and God judged them swiftly and decisively, and there was no room for redemption for them. 
In fact, some of the angels, we're told in Jude, were cast into this place uh, called Tartarus. It's a, it literally means the pit, and they're bound there until the day of judgment, until God sends them or, or throws them into the lake of fire. But Satan and the demons, who were the fallen angels, they have reign over the earth, and they are subject to the authority of Satan. And I said last week, Satan is on a leash, a long leash, and the one holding that leash is God, so he can't just do anything that he wants, but he is, he, he is alive and well on planet earth. And he's intervening in, in the affairs of man. I've said this a bunch of times. He is one being. He can't be multiple places at the same time. So chances are he's not picking on you, you know, when, when life is difficult or when you're struggling with sin. Probably the reason why you're struggling with sin is because you're jacked up, just like me. Like, that's, you know, like Satan has other things to do, better things to do, like maybe influence guys like Putin and other world, uh, world leaders. Um, but they were judged, and there was no room for redemption. Satan has a shelf life, and when that, when, when that shelf life expires, God will send him into the lake of fire where he will be tormented day, well, forever and ever and ever, day and night, forever and ever, we're told. And, um, and so when we come to 1 Peter and we read this description about you and about me, that is the church, that is people who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're told at the very end of, of, of that last sentence in verse 12 that these are things into which angels long to look. And so I want to just kind of help your heart soar over who you are in Jesus. That, um, that when you die, you do not become an angel. I, that's lame, actually, um, when I read the Bible. That's just, that would be a lame experience. Like, not, not trying to offend any angels that might be in the room, but um, <laughs> I'm just saying... I am a human being created in the image of God. Angels are not created in the image of God. They are creatures like you and me. They have emotion. They, they, they are able to exhibit a will. Um, and uh, they can choose to live for God or they can choose to rebel against God. That happened once and for all and that won't ever happen again. Um, we rebelled. Actually, we were born in rebellion from the moment we were conceived, the Bible says. And... Um, I've said this before, we run from God like a thief runs from a cop. Like that's our, that's our disposition, that's our nature. And, um, and the angels are like, wait a second. <laughs> um, we never experienced this thing called redemption. And, and yet these humans experience redemption. And it says that they look into these things, they marvel at these things. So I just want to uh, pick apart this passage uh, and the first is this, is that who are we in verses 3 through 5? Who are we? So in verse 3, if you're tracking with me, I hope you are, in your own Bible, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how Peter begins. He begins with worship. Why does he begin with worship? Because he's writing to these Christians who were scattered all throughout what would be modern-day Turkey, and they were suffering. There were people who were threatening their lives. There were people who, who were taking away their property. Life was not easy for these Christians. And Peter wants to encourage them, so he wrote them this letter, 1 Peter. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May, may he be worshipped. And then he goes on, According to his great mercy. Well, what did this great mercy result in? Well, this is what it resulted in. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Something angels never got to experience. Angels cannot be born again spiritually. Only human beings can. Your animal can't. Your cat can't. Your dog can't be born again. I, I was tempted to do a whole sermon series on do dogs, you know, you, do dogs or your pets go to heaven. Um, I'm not doing that, but, but they don't. I'm sorry. I just said it. All right, so <laughs> some of you are like, what? Now I'm really depressed. Um, okay. But there will be animals on the new earth. So there you go. So you'll, you'll, I got to stop. Okay, so <laughs> who are we? We're born again. What are we born again to? A living hope. It's not, this living hope doesn't have a shelf life. It's not dead. It's so much more. It's rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we have this living hope. That's how we're able to be born again. Angels are like, wait a second. This is crazy in a good way. Like, like God, in his great mercy, has caused us to be born again. It, it's not saying here, just pay attention, it's not saying that we caused ourselves to be born again. That's not what's being said here. He's saying God, through his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God did it. When angels rebelled in, in heaven, and, and these were, those were the demons, and they were judged, it was once and for all. When we rebelled, God didn't say, God didn't say that's it. He ran after us. He pursued us. Each and every one of you in this room, how many of you would say, I'm born again, I'm a Christian, right? I mean, if you're not, that's cool, I'm glad you're here. Um, but every one of you that raised your hand, God pursued you. He pursued you. Like, like there was nothing in you that desired him. He pursued you. And there was nothing that warranted him to come after you. He wasn't obligated to do that. He came after you anyway. Why? Because we're told it was his great mercy that resulted in that. Ephesians chapter 2 says that it was a result of his great mercy that he, is, that he uh, made us who were once dead, made us alive in Christ. And so what is the result of that? What, is, what do we have as a result of that? Well, we were born again to an inheritance, verse 4, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and is kept in heaven for you. Meaning it's, it's imperishable, cannot be destroyed. It's, uh, it's undefiled, it's not touched by sin. And it's unfading, meaning it won't grow old. There is no shelf life to your salvation. It is forever. Nobody can take it from you. Well, how do you know that, Pastor Keith? Well, let me show you. It's right here. Um, verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through a faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Who is guarding your salvation? God is. And how is he doing it? By his great power. Who can, who can remove your salvation from his hand? Nobody. That's John chapter 10, right? He holds us, and he, said, and he promises to keep us and to never let us go. That's why you've heard me say, I believe with all of my heart you cannot lose your salvation. Now I'll explain a little bit what a being born again really is about. Like, what, what's the result? What, what is the evidence that you've been truly born again? Peter's going to describe that for us. But before that, he just, he just bursts out into praise. 
You know, this is, this is what we've received. And, and it's going to be re- revealed in the last time. This is what angels are like marveling over. Like, okay, we see what, what Jesus did on the cross, and that's, that's amazing. That is, in fact, we will for all of eternity be worshiping Jesus. Be, I mean, like, we'll be celebrating that forever. That's Revelation chapter 5, right? Um, but, but there's this thing that he's doing in the, in, in these, in, in the lives of these human beings that have, that have been born again that's not just past and it's not just present, he's guarding it, but it's also future. There's, there's more that's coming to these people. And they didn't do anything to earn it. God is the one who pursued them. He sent his son to, 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 to be born of a virgin and to live the life that we could never live. And then he went to a cross and experienced the death that you and I deserved, like the humans deserved. How is that possible? And, I mean, we even sang about it, like, like in one of the songs that we sang. Like, I, I hope, like, when we sing these songs, that you, you're thinking about what you're singing. But in Christ alone, it's a modern-day hymn. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave, he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Like, do you feel that? Like, that's who you are, brothers and sisters. And if you're not a Christian, man, you'd be insane. You'd be insane to not, to, to not uh, embrace this, to not cry out to God and say, God, I want this. I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. I want Jesus in my life. Because this is who we are if you're a Christian. And he, and, and he goes on to say that, that you know, you're, what you have, I mean, what, what is it that you have? Verse 6, in this you rejoice. In what? What do I rejoice in? In this salvation that has been given to you. In, this, in, the, in the fact that God has caused you to be born again. You went from being spiritually roadkill, <laughs> dead. How many of you have ever seen roadkill? Get up and walk away. I call it road pizza, right? It's fun. During, during November, this is not in my sermon, but in November, I, I love answering the phone. And, um, and I love it when there's a live person on the other side wanting to sell me something or get my opinion on something. And when I, and this is how I answer. I say, Joe's Road Pizza, we scrape them, you eat them, may I help you? And I usually get silence. And then um, I'm like, and then sometimes it's just a recording. I'm like, darn, I'm just really hoping for... But how many of you ever seen that something is dead, get up and walk away? Like legitimately dead. In fact, it smells when it's dead. And that's who we were before Christ. We were dead. We were roadkill. Um... Spiritual roadkill, and God made us alive. This is the salvation that we rejoice in. And then he goes on to say, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. The word trial there can be translated temptation. Now, it's not talking about t- temptation to sin. It's, um, it's the kind of temptation that comes or the kind of trials that come through persecution. Like these Christians were if there was any reason to, be, to, to throw in the towel on their faith, they were given plenty of reasons in the world's mind's eye. You know, why would you suffer for this? Well, you wouldn't want to suffer for this if it's just a story. But if it's real, then it's worth suffering for this. 
And he goes, and Peter says, your, your, your suffering is not in vain. And the kind of suffering that's being described here isn't just per, the kind that comes through persecution. I think it's all kinds of things like COVID, cancer, disease. You get a marriage that's maybe dissolving. You know, you, you, maybe you're cheated on. Or you got a child who's wayward. You, you know, and you're a Christian. You've been walking with Jesus and you don't know what the purpose is for, for these things that you're experiencing. Even though you've been grieved by various trials, understand that there's purpose behind it. That's what Peter's saying here. There's a purpose behind your trials. There's a purpose behind your suffering. And here's the really great thing about this. Unlike your faith that is living, right, this, this hope that is living, that doesn't have a shelf life, your trials have a shelf life. There is an expiration date on those, on, on those things. They're not going to last forever. And he says, but, but, but when you experience them, you're grieved by them. And listen, like, I, I love this about the Bible. the Bible. The Bible acknowledges that suffering sucks. Like, it is hor- it's not fun. Like, who likes to suffer? Anybody? Like, if you raise your hand or you're like, yeah, I like to suffer, then you need help. Like, nobody likes to suffer. And, and, uh, and, and suffering, man, when you experience it and you go through it, it gets wearisome and gets ti- it gets tiring. Have you ever suffered for so long where you're just like, I am tired. I don't want to do this anymore. Have any of you been there before? Like these Christians, I think, were probably experiencing some of that. And, and so Peter wants to, to show them, look, there's, you're not suffering in vain. Like there, there's a point to this, verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Like when Jesus appears, right, when the archangel shouts and the trumpet is blown, and Jesus appears, like you will see that even, even in the darkest seasons of your life where you suffered, you'll see, you know, it was worth it. It was worth it. You might not be able to, be able to see that just yet right now, but you'll see it eventually. It, it, suffering has a shelf life. That the Bible describes this about the curse of sin. That um, it literally, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I think, or chapter 3, I don't know, it's between 1 and 5 of those chapters. But it says, uh, what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. What is mortal will be swallowed up by life. When, when our salvation is complete, when redemption is complete, when God makes all things new, what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. And so, he says, he says, so, so this is what, it, what, what suffering is doing in your life right now is it, it's, it's burning away, it's melting, it's melting the stuff in your life and it's, and it's burning away the dross. You know what the dross is? The impurities of like precious metals. It's taking all that stuff and it's rising to the top and God is just taking it, he's skimming off the bad stuff and what you're left with is something that's more beautiful. Suffering has a way of refining you as a follower of Jesus. It will either cause you to become bitter or it will cause you to go deeper. Somebody said this. said, Christians are like nails. The harder you hit them, the deeper they go. And, and we see this here. Here's the born again part, right? And verse 8. You know, what, what, is it, what does being born again look like? It looks like verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. I said this in the first service. I'm not sure you're going to hear this in a lot of churches, but it's right here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. 
If you don't love Jesus, you're probably not born again. Now, let me qualify that. That doesn't mean that your love is perfect. <laughs> like, Peter loved Jesus, and then he betrayed him three times in a row, right? Like, he disowned him three times in a row. Um, Paul loved Jesus, but in chapter 7 of Romans, he said, why do I do the things I don't want to do? And why can't I do the things that I know I want to do? Oh, wretched man, who's going to liberate me from this, this body of sin of what Jesus will one day? Like he, but it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. You know what happens when you become born again? You become, um, your, your affections change. Your affections change. You get new affections. You develop a love that wasn't, didn't exist before you became born again. You begin to love Jesus. You begin to, to uh, you start to not like the things that you used to enjoy doing. And now when you sin, you're like, why did I do that? That, like, that doesn't make me feel good. It actually makes me feel horrible. He goes, he, he goes on to say, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Like, like even though you don't see him, you're madly in love with him. And it's affecting your life. And the reason why that is is because when God caused you to be born again, in causing you to be born again, he has given you new affections. Affections that line up with his heart. Because that's what it means to be alive to God. And, um, and this is who we are, and this is what we have. Like the world is going to hate you, and it's going to mistreat you. But all that is just temporary. All of it's temporary. Uh, Sam Storms, a guy who I really respect, he's um, pretty... He's a, he's a great theologian. He's also a really great pastor. But he wrote this in a commentary on this verse. He said, he said this, Peter describes this joy as inexpressible or unutterable, a joy so profound that it is, that it is beyond mere words. It is ineffable. It's all-consuming, overwhelming, speechless joy. This joy defies all human efforts at understanding or explanation. This is, this is what happens when you're born again. You might not have all the theological answers to all your theological questions, but one thing you know is, man, I love Jesus. And, um, and he has, he's given me life. And he's turned my life around. And it's, this salvation is not something that was just secured in the past on a cross. It is something God is guarding presently. And it is something that will not be fully realized until the future. Like, it gets better, brothers and sisters. Like, there's a day coming where it's going to be really awesome. Like, our salvation will be complete and fully, our redemption will be fully realized on that day when God makes all things new, resurrects this sin-cursed earth, and he wipes away every tear from our eyes. Then we will know a salvation that is full and complete. And so how do we got it? How, how, how we got it? You know, verses 10 through 12, how we got this, this salvation that the angels marvel at. Um, 
He, he, he says, in verse 10, he says, you know, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully and inquired what person or time that the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. You know, they, they wrote about it. Like hundreds of years before Jesus was born, they, they, they recorded what the Lord had impressed upon their heart through visions and through, you know, in their minds. The Bible says uh, of itself that, that, that it is inspired it is a, the inspired word of God, and it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Peter's saying, yeah, uh, prophets like Isaiah, who hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born, uh, talked about Jesus' death. And in fact, let's go to Isaiah 53 on the screen. He was despised and rejected by men. This is like in Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was what? He was pierced for our transgressions, and he was what? Crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us what? Peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Let's go to the next slide. Let's read this together. Ready? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus did that. He willingly went to the cross in our place. And the angels are like, well, that is just... That's mind-blowing that Jesus, the second member of this triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that Jesus, that he willingly took on human flesh, and not only did he live and rub shoulders with, with human beings who were cursed and in rebellion towards this, this holy God, that he, he, he did life with them, he got in the dirt with them, and then, and then he went to the cross and he didn't even open his mouth? And he did that for these human beings? Like, we can't fully wrap our minds around that. We never experienced that, but these humans did and are experiencing it. Like, Jesus did that for you and for me. There's a, a, an ancient creed. We, don't, we do not spend enough time... Um, recognizing that, that, that we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. There's this ancient creed called the Apostles' Creed. How many of you have heard of it? Good. Um, let's go to the Apostles' Creed. This is a portion of it. We believe this. Like if you're a Christian, if you're born again, you believe this. And this is life for you. This is life for me. This, this is what grounds us. And the only reason why we believe this is because God did the supernatural work in our hearts and made us alive to him. Let's read this together. Ready? He was born of a virgin, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Amen? Like, we believe that. 
And it's because it's true. It's not some cleverly devised tale. It's not a fable. It's not Odin and Thor. This is not the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is Jesus Christ. And he's coming to judge the living and the dead. And the angels are like, whoa. And we are his bride, brothers and sisters. We are his bride. And the guys are like, what? That's weird. No, we, we are like, we're a member of the church, and by being a part of the church, we are the bride of the second member of the Trinity. Wrap your mind around that for a moment. And, 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 as a, and because of that, we're his wife. Like, angels don't have that experience. Like, they're just messengers on behalf of, of God Almighty. They worship Jesus Christ, and they celebrate what he has accomplished in the world and how he has, has called a church to himself, a bride to himself. Angels marvel at that. Unlike angels, we are created in the image of God. Unlike angels, sinful human beings have been given the opportunity to experience redemption. That's why we're here today. Unlike angels, redeemed human beings who have been born again are the bride of Jesus Christ, who is God the Son, the second member of the Trinity. Unlike angels, born-again Christians were once enemies of God and now have been made children of the living God. That's next week's sermon, by the way. Um, are we all God's children? No. Come back next week, I'll explain it. Um, and then we are all unlike angels in that for a little while we are under them. But listen, brothers and sisters, we will judge angels one day. And some of you are like, where's that in the Bible? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there are a group of Christians who are suing one another. This shenanigans that we see happening around us, Christians suing other Christians, is the dumbest thing that Christians can engage in. It is. Like, we are members of the kingdom of heaven. We are citizens of his kingdom. Every single one of you that raised your hand when I asked you if you're a born-again Christian, if you're a Christian, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And just like it's the stupidest thing to sue your own brother and your sister, it is dumb to sue another Christian. And Paul even said that. He said that, why are you taking each other to court? Like, you're like blaspheming the name of God in front of people who don't know Jesus. Like, this is not the way Christians should, experience, should be treating one another. You should be loving one another. And, by the way, don't you know that you will judge angels one day? Like, listen, we as the church will one day sit in judgment over demons and angels. So to think that when you die, that it's a cool thing to become an angel, you have set the bar way too low. We are sons and daughters of the God of all creation. We are the bride of Jesus Christ. We belong to the one whom Colossians referred to. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be what? Preeminent. Preeminent just means superior. Preeminent is like what a paper is what the Boeing is to a paper airplane. Preeminent is what the sun is to the flame on a candle. Jesus is preeminent. And, um, and we are his. So you can get your communion cup thing out. <laughs> I still don't know what to call it. Um, there's a story in Exodus, chapter 17. And uh, 
And it's about Moses and Israel. They're wandering in the wilderness, in the desert. They did that for like 40 years. And um, there was this people group, the Amalekites, who hated them. And at one point in Exodus chapter 17, they found themselves in a conflict with the Amalekites who were seasoned warriors. The Hebrew men were not. And um, so Moses told Joshua, Joshua, I want you to lead these men into battle against the Amalekites. God's going to give us the victory. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be up on the hill here. And essentially, I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to be watching. And I'm going to do that in the form of just, I'm going to have my hands up. We're told that as Moses kept his hands up, the Israelites prevailed over the Amal- Amalekites. But when his arms started to get weary and tired and they started to drop, the Amalekites started to prevail over the Israelites until Aaron and another guy came alongside of Moses and lifted up his arms. And that day, Israel won the battle. Well, after that battle was over, Moses um, wanted all of Israel to remember what God had done that day, what he accomplished through them. So he made an altar, and he called the altar Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner. What was he trying to communicate by doing that? Because God won the battle that day, not the Israelites. Because God is their banner, not their skill. And, and when, what we read in First Peter about what it means to be born again, brothers and sisters, God is our banner. He, that's where our identity is found. I said this last week in the, you know, that sermon I preached on the splendor of Jesus in the book of Revelation. Our righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. When God sees us, he sees his son. He sees the righteousness of his son. That's why what is, what is said in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, is absolutely true and something you can hold on to, that there's no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner. The Lord is my banner. If you're born again, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your banner is Yahweh. Your banner is the Lord. He is yours, and you are his. Jesus, on the night before he betrayed, was betrayed and handed over to be crucified, took bread. And he was, he was pointing to Isaiah 53, by the way. When he said, this is my body, and it's going, to be bro- it's going to be broken for you. He said, every time you gather together, I want you to remember that. That my body is going to be pierced for your transgressions. My body is going to be crushed for your iniquities. Every time you come together, I, I, I don't want you to forget that. So take this and eat it in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat together. And then he held up the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Again, he was, uh, all the disciples would have recalled the Passover meal. They would have recalled what the prophets of old said, like there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. Jesus was saying, all those, uh, that whole entire sacrificial system was pointing generations of Hebrew people and generations of Yahweh-loving people 
to what I would eventually come to do and accomplish. He said, my blood is going to be poured out for you. And by having it poured out for you, I'm going to make it possible for you to be born again. But every time you gather together, I want you to drink this in remembrance of me. We are the bride of Christ. We belong to him. And because we belong to him, you individually are sons and daughters of the God of all creation. We are heirs of all that belongs to Jesus. Not the angels. You are. And me. We collectively, the church. When we die, we don't become angels. When we die, it just only gets better. One day we'll experience a resurrection. One day the earth will experience a resurrection like ours. And when that day comes, he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes, and the curse of sin will be no more, and what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Amen? God, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the promise and hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gospel and just how Peter laid it out for us here in, in, in this first chapter of First Peter. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know you yet, Lord, God, I just pray that before they leave here that they would just pray, that they would just talk to you. If they're not born again, if they really think they're not born again, God, that they would just tell you, pray, pray to you, ask you, confess to you that, uh, that they're, they're a sinner in need of your grace and your mercy. And that grace and mercy is only available through what your son Jesus Christ did on that cross and validating what he did on that cross by rising on the third day. That they will hear these words from your holy word that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that you, O oh God, raised him from the grave that you will be saved. Thank you for what you're doing in and through our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.